0: Well, good morning. I want to give my welcome to what's already been given this morning. And I hope you leave this time together this morning with a spring in your step and feeling energized and convinced uh, of the truth of God's word. I want to speak a message this morning called Surrounded and Yet Safe. Surrounded and Yet Safe. As uh, I share this message today, it's uh, the middle of June in 2020, and we're in the midst of this COVID-19 situation. There's a lot of unknowns still ahead of us, and legitimate fear at this point in time is is real. It's really there. I have a simple question for you this morning, though. Do you realise how much you are loved? Do you realise how much you are loved? It's my conviction. I think it's beyond true. That if we realise the depths of God's love, it would be a game changer in terms of how much fear we actually feel. We'd do a whole lot less fretting over what's coming against us. And we'd feel a whole lot more secure in this deep love of God. The question is, how do we get there? How do I get this conviction that God is for me, that he is behind me, that I don't face any of these fears as I look into the future all by myself? I want to jump into our reading this morning from Psalm 27. And there we're going to see a man by the name of David who is surrounded and yet feels safe simultaneously. It's, It's a bizarre situation. But here's a man who's surrounded. He has threat on every side, dangers lurking. Yet the odd thing is he feels this level of peace. About his situation. So, I want to read together Psalm 27, reading from verse 1. It says this The Lord is my light and my salvation. Those feeling dark or lost should already be sensing a lift just from that. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? Even when evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. This one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He'll place me out of reach on a high rock. And I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I'll offer sacrifices with shouts of joy. Singing and praising the Lord with music. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word today. We're in Psalm 27, in case you missed it. Nobody has a wider emotional dictionary in the Bible than our writer of this song today, David. In fact, I think you're going to struggle to find anyone emotionally fluent anywhere than him, period. I mean, he's just incredible. David values emotional authenticity if we can go to our first slide David values emotional authenticity of all the biblical material uh, where emotion is most valued it's here in the Psalms where where emotion is expressed best and of all the people who express it the most it's David the writer of our Psalm today He's at the front end of this human discovery. Namely, God welcomes our bold conversation. God wants to hear how we feel. He wants to be involved in my emotional life. Some church church folks are so busy keeping up appearances. 5,000 years on, we still don't get what David got that way back then. We We still don't feel that same level of freedom that he enjoyed. For David in his relationship with God, nothing is off limits. Nothing is off limits. He talks to God in an unfiltered, unedited, unrefined manner. He just lets it all hang out before heaven's courts. David knows it's safe to do so. David's initiative, therefore, is a huge win for all of us. Because David has gone there with God, it means you and I can go there. With God, because it made it into the Holy Scriptures, which is a model for us of how we should live. God apparently really values honesty. We don't then need some specialized religious voice when it comes to prayer. We don't need to, to conjure up this, our gracious, eternal, heavenly Father, you know, the, this specialized voice to approach God with. No, 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 we can just be ourselves. David shows us how. He talks to God just like he does a trusted friend. There's elements of here in Psalm 27, but if we go beyond this Psalm, we see it even stronger. Here's a couple of Davidic examples in uh, Psalm 13. It says this, "O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? Did you realize you could talk to God like that? Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul and sorrow in my heart? Every day? That's Psalm 13. Let's turn our attention now to Psalm 22. It goes like this. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, but you don't answer. Ever felt like that? Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. That's keeping it far more real than most of us church folk are accustomed to. This kind of talk doesn't belong in Sunday church. So, which needs to be corrected then? Our Sunday church or our Bibles? We're not used to making irreverent, irreverent I use loosely, emotions directed at God like this. Every day I call to you, my God, but you don't answer. Every night I lift my voice but get no relief. We don't see this kind of a model, so we think it's off limits. You're not allowed to talk to God in that way. But David realizes what many of us have forgotten God already sees a level of pain in his heart. God already knows his disappointment with life. God is already fully aware of all of the emotions swirling around in his soul. So why not bring the authentic version of the story to God then? Surely he can handle it. We see David model this over and over again in the Psalms. But even in our reading this morning in Psalm 27, there's reflections of it here. Sentiments of how emotionally aware David is. Right off the bat, in verse 1, he acknowledges that fear is lurking right there. And even before it's fully taken hold and knocked David to the ground, he deals with it. And I love how he deals with it. He doesn't just notice it, you know, as in I feel sad or mad or glad. David actually digs deeper through this self-examination. And he processes his feelings in order to maintain a healthy soul. He asks questions of himself like this, verse 1. Why should I feel afraid? Why should I tremble? Who's he talking to? Himself. He's talking to his own soul. He doesn't just accept what is. He examines what is, puts it under the microscope. And this is a type of emotional reflection that triggers a lot of mature development in our lives. I'd go a step further to say, devoid of it, we don't mature. We need this type of reflection. It's going to sound weird if you've never done it before, but getting yourself alone in a quiet space and say, soul, how are you going? Sounds weird if you've never done it right, but it's a really healthy practice. Soul, how are you going? And sit And listen for the response, journal, meditate, pray, heal, process. Our emotional hygiene is dependent upon this level of scrutiny of our own souls. This is David's model to us, and it's no fluke then that he has so much emotional vocabulary at his disposal because he's in good practice. He's constantly examining his soul. Please don't miss the difference, though, between... The Bible's Mental Health Guide and the Modern Australian Mental Health Guide. What's become vogue in our post-modern, post-truth, pluralistic world. See, there's a difference here that I really want you to notice. Up until the, now in this message, a Buddhist monk could have said amen to everything I've said. Get alone and meditate. Tick. Be aware of your feelings. Tick. Make time to reflect. Tick. None of that's offensive. You don't need a biblical worldview to appreciate those sentiments. Here's the difference. Why do you do that? Why do you get alone? Why do you, do, you, do you get yourself quiet? Why must you hear your own soul? Why? So critical we hear this point of difference. See, the cultural goal is so that you listen to your heart. But that's not enough with a biblical worldview, we don't listen to our heart. That's not enough. That's dangerous actually at times. We lead our heart and there's a vast difference. See, biblical emotional management is not only about listening to my heart, it's about leading my heart. Biblical emotional management is not about listening to my heart, it's about leading my heart. I hope you can appreciate the difference there. It's significant. It matters. The Bible shows a difference between listening and leading to our hearts. David shows us here in verse 1. By reasoning with himself, by asking himself rhetorical questions, he's given himself a free counselling session. And we learn from David that a healthy soul gets interrogated and questioned and held to account. A healthy emotional person doesn't just accept feelings, they examine feelings. They go deeper and work out the why, and direct their mood, not just accept their mood. We need to move quick. We've established that David is a A1 feeler. Here's where the plot thickens. Here's where things get fascinating. David values emotional authenticity. We've heard that. That's point point one, point two. David also values theological depth. And this is rare. David is no lightweight. David is not a mystic blown around by the weather. He values emotional authenticity, yes but he values theological depth. He's also a thinker. Feeler? Yes. Thinker? Yes. David manages to wed his feelings with his theological beliefs. He's an extremely touchy-feely person, yes, but he also uses good theology to generate mental health. Look in how he does it in verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my fortress. Therefore, what? Well, the emotional outcome of that is, if my head's got to swim there in that truth, fear will not win. With that in mind, not a chance. I haven't met many Davids. Have you? People who are fantastic feelers and at the same time, Fantastic thinkers. It's rare. It's very uncommon. What is common that we have people who are wildly emotional or deeply theological? But David avoids this false dichotomy. He is both. He feels, but he's not blown all over the shop. He thinks as well. He marries his emotions with good theology. Some will hear that and go, ah, I've heard that before. I know what you mean, Jono. That's code for saying I must dismiss all my emotions because that's ultimately what the church does, right? I mean, we're not allowed to admit we're, we're sad, mad or glad or afraid because that's representative of weak faith. So we just kind of have to throw our emotions away and pretend they're not there. Well, no. David brings his emotions before God. To make them vanish, no, but to process them well, Absolutely. This is David's goal. Emotions are not bad. If you need to hear me say that again, I'll say it again. If you've been in church so long and used to kind of suppressing them, emotions are not bad. They're a God-given gift and we're supposed to honour them. They're a sign that we're alive. And experiencing the full spectrum of emotions is a God-given gift. They're meant to go through hearing and through due processing. But here's the thing. Emotions are there to serve us, not rule us. They're they're terrible rulers. They're good servants. They're a little bit like the the light on the dashboard. You ignore it at your own peril for long enough. It, It will mean something more serious will happen to your car. And David shows us here that it's possible, it's possible to avoid this false dichotomy between feeler and thinker. No, 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 no. We can be both. We should be both. We should be both. Now, someone listening at this point in time is going, oh, Johnny, but that's not fair. I mean, if David faced the same challenges I faced, he wouldn't be so positive. He wouldn't feel so sure about God. Well, I wonder about that. When we read in verse 3, a mighty army surrounds me, I happen to think this isn't just theory. This isn't just David being wildly imaginative. This nightmare is David's daily reality. If you don't know the backstory, is there is one. There is a backstory here. For up to ten years, David has been on the run from a king named Saul. He's lived ten years looking over his shoulder, wondering when the next bullet's going to be fired. This is David's daily existence for, for seven to ten years, conservatively seven, up to 10 years, he's lived like that. So when he's saying, though a mighty army surround me, I don't think at all, it's just an analogy. I think it's a daily reality for David. Okie dokie, you say, John, maybe you're right. He, he might have me covered when it comes to managing fear. But my fear is this if I stop and listen to my heart, I'll fall in a heap. And I do overwork and I do distract myself with addictive behaviour and I do have unhealthy dependence on others but I don't know how to go from unhealthy to healthy in emotions. I know that fear rules and my faith is weak but I don't know how to make that journey towards health. Someone else will have the opposite problem. They're a thinker. Their faith is strong, and yet they don't know how to tap into feeling. So where do these meet? How do we train ourselves to be be healthy thinkers and healthy feelers? David can again help us. Emotions and faith meet in an honest exchange called worship. Worship. Worship is the Bible's answer to to marrying emotions and faith. It's where faith and emotions learn to interact in a healthy manner. It's where I'm spiritually strong and emotionally strong. It's where I can be holistic before God's presence. As we learn to worship an almighty God in spirit and truth, our emotional state gets ordered appropriately, and my faith and feelings, both, 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 get affirmed in that space. It's not turning off one in order to embrace the other. No, no, no. They both get valued in that space. Worship is very much emotional. It's a mood changer on steroids. But worship is very much spiritual. It's theology shaping. It involves my heart and my head. They come together in this place called worship. It's where emotions find a home in honest processing. It's not an escape. It's a, it's a healing experience. It's a beautiful place. Worship. Remember that what we're reading about today is musical worship. That's what the Psalms are. They're songs. Psalm 27 is simply Song 27. It's a song. It's a song book. And in verse 4 to 6, we see David relaying this experience as he has in the Lord's sanctuary, where in the Old Testament, you had to go to the temple to worship. That was the space where God lived and presided. The good news is he goes with us wherever we are. He just needs to be acknowledged and invited into that space. And he shows up in a profound way every single time. David says in uh, this psalm, he will offer sacrifices. He'll bring his whole self before God. And I love in verse 6 here how wildly emotional David's approach is. I will come with shouts of joy. David is not glib in the way he will approach God in worship. He's not deadpan. He's not just going through a formality. David is pumped. His whole body, soul and spirit is engaged in this exercise called worship. He'll lift up his voice in an uninhibited manner at the top of his lungs. And he understands the power of praise, of singing out in deep praise to God. For those being out of shape by life, worship is a game changer. It, it switches everything. Nowadays, uh, some science backs up what goes on in the brain when we sing. It's incredibly powerful. We're just beginning to understand this now in modern science. Shifts occur for us personally, emotionally when we worship. It's a holistic experience. Yip Harburg says this, Words make you think a thought. Music makes you feel a feeling. A song makes you feel a thought. What incredible power God has placed in the worship Expression. Musical worship is a place where theology and emotions meet. Worship is where I introduce my wild emotions to solid theology. But I don't have to switch them off. No, no, no. They meet each other in this beautiful exchange and they marry. And that's a healthy person. Here's the distinction. Realize that many of the negative emotions I feel are actually drivers that are supposed to have me landing back at the feet of Almighty God yet again. Realizing that I'm nothing without him. And worship demands that I bring my whole heart before a loving dad. And yet worship also demands I bring my whole mind before a holy God. It's a beautiful exchange. If you're new to church, I'll try and explain this in simple terms. You wake up and it's the most rotten of mornings. You get out of bed on the wrong side and it's just like everything's going wrong. And I could give you a whole lot more detail on this, but I'll make it short. You arrive at a church gathering. Your head down, flat as a tack, the first song, the best you can do is mumble. You, you, you only move your lips so that you won't be judged by the person who's sitting down there, that you're really not feeling anything at all. By the second song, the mumble has progressed to, you know, mediocre singing. And by the end of the song, yeah, you're kind of singing, you're kind of lifting up your voice. And by the third song, and you better be by the third song, you've only got three shots at it, four. (laughs) Time's running out. But by the third song, you're shouting. You're shouting the victory of God and all that he's done in your life. It's this amazing transition that happens in worship. And this is David's testimony. He says, bring the fullness of whatever's going on in your life and you'll leave shouting for joy. The worship experience for David is not some kind of... uh, religious tradition of a Sunday morning. He brings this worship every single day to his father. There's a power in worship that maybe some of you haven't touched on yet. I will encourage you in closing with a story. I was uh, at a wedding 10 years ago and, uh, There was a comment made throughout the ceremony, at the end of the ceremony, before the reception, between reception and ceremony. It was in Melbourne and I was talking with one of my mates and we're just chatting away and he said, where are you staying tonight? And I said to him where I was staying and he made this little wee comment that he meant nothing by but it impacted me. He said, oh, I wouldn't want to stay there I just got a cheap hotel in a certain place in Melbourne. And he said, Oh, wow, <laughs> I wouldn't want to stay there. And then the conversation continued on. I didn't think anything more of it until after the reception that night. And I was getting in the car, and it was like close to midnight, and I was by myself. And this little thought returned I wouldn't want to stay in that part of Melbourne. And fear and anxiety began to, to, to spring up in my heart. And I thought, whoa, I had all sorts of imaginations going on. Worst case scenarios of what was going to happen to me if I went to that motel. And for about half an hour from leaving the reception, I had to decide whether I was going to take a right and head back to my hometown of Echuca at the time or take a left and stay in this place. For half an hour, a panic attack endured as I had to make that decision and as I come to the fork in the road where I decided I was going to stay in Melbourne some faith rose up in me and I began to sing an old song that says this I will exalt you I will exalt you you are my God my hiding place my safe refuge My treasure, Lord, you are. My friend and king, anointed one most holy. And then verse 2 goes on. Because Because you're with me. Because you're with me. Because you're with me. I will not fear. I tell you that by the end of that song, I was shouting. I was shouting with songs of joy and I didn't care what I found. By the time I got to that hotel, I felt prepared. Though I'm surrounded, I will not fear. It was the power of worship. It was the power of inviting the presence of God into that situation and letting him go to work on my heart as he did. And this incredible faith. Rose up. You know as well as me that we keep leaking. Because it happened once doesn't mean I'll have that same strength again for tomorrow. I've got to continue to build in and build in and build in. So, as we close in prayer this morning and the music team come, I encourage you with this thought. Today, are you surrounded? Are you surrounded? I wonder this morning as we close with this song, God, you're so good. I wonder if you could not just sing the song. I wonder if by the end of the song, you might actually shout the song. You might let God speak in your heart and spring to life. It's possible, friends. It's possible, so possible, to be emotionally healthy and spiritually strong. You don't have to trade in your head for your heart or vice versa. Both belong in the presence of God, both are part of true worship. And true worship only exists if we bring our whole self to God. So as we close out this morning, please do that. Please bring your whole self to God. Father God, we thank you that you are so near. We thank you that you are so near. You're so real. You have this love that that comes in. And reminds us that we are valued by you. Thank you for the example of David, where he shows us this morning it's so possible to be emotionally real and theologically deep. We pray for an increase of that in our lives, God, for those of us who are just so ruled by fear that we've lost sight of how powerful you are. We pray for people who are so deep theologically. They've lost their capacity to feel. Oh, God, come to us afresh in this moment. Show us that you are safe, Lord God, to bring, your whole, bring our whole self to you. And you go about changing us and changing the atmosphere around us. We give you thanks, Lord, in Jesus' name.